You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com You know, that's that little being that lives in my computer somewhere that comes out and says that. You have one of those genies too. Okay, cool. <laughs> Folks, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with one of my favorite people of all time. Marina Nemet is joining us again. As folks and fans of this show will remember, last year she was here talking about her book, Prisoner of Tehran. And Marina's back with a brand new book called After Tehran, which is every bit as harrowing and as heartstring pulling as her first book was. Marina, you know, I've got a bunch of notes here in the book, but you know what? I'm going to turn it over to you because I want to give you the forum to talk about what you want to get across. As you know, this show is primarily broadcast to university students, and I think it's important for your message, your ideas, to get through to them. So I'm just going to sit back and shut up. That's not very nice, right? <laughs> yeah, but trust me, my honey likes me to do that a lot. <laughs> okay, okay. I totally understand the situation. She says, Baba Beshin, Baba Beshin. <laughs> Folks, Marina Nemet. Folks, Marina Nemet, and uh, we're laughing because in this book are some harrowing stories, as I mentioned before, and we are so darn lucky to have Marina as a Canadian. I'm so glad you chose Canada, Marina. I'm very glad to be here, Brent. You can't imagine. What would you say to all the students that are listening right now? Uh, you know, when when I started traveling after I wrote Prisoner of Tehran, I had to go on numerous book tours and then one thing led to the other and I found myself in strange cities, um, places I had never thought I would visit and talking to people. And as I did that, you know, the journalists would show up and they would ask questions and almost every single journalist when I was traveling asked me, why did you wait 20 years to write this book? And when I heard that question, I just wanted to bang my head against the wall. I was astounded at how would somebody who's educated, you know, a journalist, you know, you, you know, uh-huh. I have respect for journalists. They are, they are people who know a lot about the world. And you know, how would you expect an 18-year-old girl to get out of prison after two years of torture, watching her friends suffer, some of them die after two years of rape, to just go home and a week later be poetic about it, um, it doesn't happen. In, in the real world, it doesn't happen that way. So, um, you know, I, 
when Prisoner was published, if somebody had told me you will write another nonfiction book, I would have said, go have your head examined. Uh, there was no way. Uh, I, when I wrote Prisoner, I wanted closure. That was the point. Uh, I, I, putting the story on, on paper was tremendously difficult emotionally, psychologically when I started writing. That was when I started having more nightmares and more flashbacks and more problems and all of that. So I did, did, did it. I, I suffered through all of that because I wanted closure. And then the book came out and there was no such thing. Nothing ended. Uh, everything continued. Um, in a way, everything was escalating. There, there were, you know, reactions to the book. Some of them positive, some of them negative. Some people were mad at me for saying certain things and for my views and for my perspectives. And uh, it was, it, it became very complicated. And I realized gradually, gradually, I learned that there is no such thing as closure. And if you look for it, uh, you will just suffer more. The point is, I guess, when you go through something like that, to learn that. You can't just, it is not a tumor in, in your chest and you can just reach in, grab it and pull it out and throw it out the window and there you go, you're cured. There is no cure. Um, your past lives in you. And the sooner you can face it, the sooner you can accept it, the better it is because then you're not living a lie. You're not living an illusion or a delusion or whatever. So then you can start living in the present tense and in reality. And I think the only option that a survivor of something like that uh, has is to make the best of the present. Because the past is horrific, the future, you don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. So you have to make the best of what you have now. And I believe that a survivor can only do that if he or she bears witness. And this bearing witness is not, is not an event that starts at 8 a.m., ends at 8.30. Uh, this is something that has to go on for the rest of your life. Because the moment you stop doing it, that is when those nightmares and flashbacks, they come at you. So you have to make it make your life very, very useful. There's no better way of me explaining it, but, you know, there is something called survivor's guilt, and it's very real. And for me, um, from my experience, I haven't been able to find a cure for it. So as a survivor, what I need to do in order to be able to go on is to justify my being alive, period. And to do that, I don't believe in jumping off bridges, um, hurting people, uh, doing evil things um, that would just make the world just worse and a darker place. So to me, I have to do something positive and create something positive after something negative. Now, After Tehran is basically the story of that, is the story of how telling the story changed everything for me and not for me as a person but as a survivor and what the cost of telling really is the kind of effects it, it has on you as a human being on your family and the kind of reactions you would have to face because not everybody is welcoming that now you have suddenly decided to tell the truth so dealing with all of that it takes a lot of effort and not only that a lot of books in our you know in the history of humanity 
since we've had literature, a lot of books have been written about what happened to the victim, what happened to this person, whether it be you know, during medieval, medieval times or during the Holocaust or, you know, in different countries, different situation, situations around the world. But what really hasn't been done is what happens to the survivor 20 years later? And I think this is especially important in Canada today. Why? Because Canada has become really a country of immigrants. And when you look around you, you see people who are visual minorities, and they come here from different countries, from all over the place. And some of those areas of the world are really traumatized. They are really dark places. And yet these people come here, they start their life, they, they look normal, they look Canadians, they, you know, they have backyard barbecues, they, their kids play soccer, they go to the same school, they are at our workplace, and, but there is more to it. And if we block that, if we try to get rid of that reality, if we expect new Canadians to get rid of the hyphen, you know, if they are Iranian Canadian or let's say, you know, Congolese Canadian or Russian Canadian, if we, we expect them to get rid of that hyphen to, to basically erase their past, that would not do us any good because it is impossible to do. So the important thing would be to encourage people to tell their stories. And and this is the whole point of After Joran. I wrote it because I wanted people to understand the life of a survivor so many years later. And I also wanted to encourage people to tell their stories. But at the same time, I'm not sugarcoating it. So I'm giving it, giving them the reality exactly as I have experienced. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com Incredibly brave woman we're speaking with today, folks, Marina Nemet. For those of you that are unfamiliar with her previous book, Prisoner of Turan, that book tells the story of a young woman, 16 years old, was, in my opinion, illegally arrested, thrown into that notorious prison called Evan Prison in the middle of Tehran, Iran. And of course, that's Iran, folks. You don't have any recourse if you're thrown in jail. They can just disappear you when they do disappear you anytime they want. She was virtually tied up against a post, set to be shot along with her friends, blindfolded, car pulled up, out jumped her jailer, said, you have two choices, die or marry me. She opted for the latter. She chose life. She was subsequently abused. She was raped. And now, folks, she's telling us her story again, but in a different type of narrative as a survivor. And that book is called After Tehran. This is an incredibly brave woman because she's come out from those depths of the darkness to share her story, to illuminate what goes on day in, day out, not only in Iran, but right around the world. Incredible courage because not many people would want to come to the forefront and tell this type of story for fear of persecution, for fear of being, uh, well, your husband, for example, you write in the book that you were very nervous of your husband reading this 
Marina folks used to work in a Swiss chalet part-time for money. And her husband came in one day with her two sons, and he had read the manuscript and simply said, we'll talk at home. And poor Marina was sick after that. Uh, But this is the type of courage she had. She wanted to bring this story out and the trust between her and her husband. You know, that wonderful relationship you seem to have. Just amazing stuff. Can we talk a little bit more about that essence, perhaps to give people an idea, you know, I've been with many, unfortunately, many um, incest survivors, and it is only until they are in a place where they feel safe enough will they allow themselves to start feeling those feelings, those feelings of flashbacks, for example. Was that the case with you, with your husband? Uh, Absolutely, and I think it, it, it amazes me how... You know, the human experience remains the same. So you change the dates, you change the name of the country, the language changes, and the history surrounding it, of course, changes. But the human experience, more or less, it's never identical exactly, but more or less it remains the same. This whole issue of silence, um, you cannot fight it. Uh, it is very natural for silence to set in after a horrific event that has a historic effect. It is so big, it is so political, and that people just refuse to face it for different reasons. Now, for example, with the Holocaust, uh, when the Holocaust ended and people you know, who had survived it, they started going home, it was so big and it was so devastating that everybody wanted just to walk away from it. That mm. maybe if we don't talk, maybe it will just go away. It's almost like you you deal with it as if it were a, a bad dream, not reality. I think there's a part of wishful thinking in us that, that deals with it that way. And I've talked to a lot of Holocaust survivors and they were very disappointed when, when they were treated that way. But then on the other hand, they, they also thought that, okay, maybe this is really the better way. Maybe, you know, it's easier. Like, who wants to think about stuff like that? Let's just move on. And and then exactly as you said, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years later, when you begin to feel comfortable in your life, that is when the flashbacks and the memories, they come back to life. So they never truly leave you. They just become silent. They become dormant until they just rise for one reason or another. And that's exactly the case with us, with with Iran's survivors. The problem with Iran is that, you know, with the Holocaust, I was in Auschwitz in, in March, and, you know, I went to a few concentration camps with a group of Canadians. So, you know, it, it was a very traumatic experience, but there was one ray of light there, and that was that as I became devastated in Auschwitz, and actually they did an interview with me there, and I'm sobbing, I'm just out of control, devastated there, and I keep on saying, please do something, please do something. I, I said that because, um, you know, Auschwitz is now a museum. It is where you can go, you can grieve, you can cry, you can sob, you can be as devastated as, as you want to be, and then you remember these people, you think about them, and then you 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 say to yourself, never again. And when I was standing there, it was just, it hit me in the head uh, so strongly that Auschwitz is a museum, but Evin is not. Evin is entirely functional structure. 
stronger maybe than it has ever been. And, and I'm standing here in Auschwitz and I'm grieving, but then at the same time, it's going on. Like whatever I have done, it has not been enough. It's when is it? You know, so it, it was this um, frustration just spilling out of me. And it was, I think it was almost a nervous breakdown because I just simply was so frustrated. I didn't know what to do. So this is the difference in this situation. We have a situation that has been going on for 30 years and survivors, they are still facing a present tense problem. So even though, you know, I got out of Iran, got here, I have a life, you know, all of this, I have written about it, but it is an ongoing issue. It is not something that I can say never again because it is happening as we speak. And that is the part that makes it the hardest, I think, for all of us. And this is why many survivors, Iranian, thousands of us out there, a lot of us now live abroad, and not so many of us have written and talked about it. So why? Because people are still living right inside the trauma and right inside that fear that has dominated their lives for 30 years. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com That's at the crux of the problem. Folks, our guest today is Marina Nemet. Her book, After Tehran, of course, fans of the show know she was here last year talking about her previous book, Prisoner of Tehran. Easy way to get it, and I should have done this before. www.brenthollandshow.com www.brenthollandshow.com As always, click on the book cover. We'll take you right to Chapters Indigo, Heather's store as I call it. It is predominantly displayed in our local Chapters Indigo. I was there uh, yesterday and picked the book up, so you won't have any problems getting the book. Profound, profound book and profound guest. You know, this is something, Marina, that has perplexed me. Mankind is capable of such great, glorious things. I mean, I had Dr. Uh, Collins on the show. He broke the genome. I've had people who have been into outer space on the show, people who have achieved so many great things in their lives, yet... We still shoot each other. We still throw people into Evan Prison and all the other prisons around the world, torture them, abuse them, treat them like animals. What is it in our psyche that allows us to achieve such greatness and yet go down to the pits of hell? Basically, you're asking me what the nature of evil is. Mm. And, you know, I guess if I knew I would be God himself, um, it's impossible to answer that question. And, uh, you know, I... I am not a very philosophical person by nature. I I am a very practical person. I learn from experience and I try to solve problems that are right there on my plate at that very given moment. You know, since human beings came on this planet, they started speculating about what the nature of good and evil was and who God was and what what, what was our position uh, in this world and in the next and all of that. And you know, depending on what, of what culture or religion you are from, uh, you have different perspectives on the world. So which one of them is right, which one of them is wrong, I guess we are not going to find out until we actually leave this life and then what happens after that. You know, again, it's open to discussion. But I think the point, the practical point, you know, whatever the nature of evil is, whatever the reason is why we are capable of amazingly 
beautiful, lovely things and creation to the point that it makes your jaw drop open. You sit down and you you listen to Mozart. You look at the beautiful painting. You know you watch you know that sta- space station orbiting the planet. And there's, there's so much beauty. There's so much humanity. There is so much love and goodness in this world. But at the same time, as you said, there is evil. So you know, I. My brain does not have the capacity to deal with to deal with the, the whole picture because it's just so big. Uh, I have given up trying to digest it. So what I do is that I would say, okay, I want good to win. I want the world to become a better place. And to do that, I don't need to study philosophy. To do that, all I need to do is look at the world around me, look at the talents, that God has given me, and I have, and I know that I have them, and then use those talents, no matter how big or small they are, to make that immediate circle around me. I'm not talking about Africa, right? Now, that's, that's you know, far from me. I'm from Iran. Iran has problems. I understand them, and I, I can tackle that. So I work on those problems, and I try to make my world that little circle around me, a better place. And if I do that, and then if a lot of other people out there do that, which I know they are doing it, then this gives me hope. It doesn't make the world the Garden of Eden. I don't even know if that is possible. But at least when my time comes to leave this planet, which, you know, it can be sooner than later, at least when I'm putting my head down for the last time, I can think, you know what? I did my best. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com Folks, Marina Nemet, very courageous, incredible person. We are so lucky to have her right here in Canada, as all immigrants, as she alluded to before, because we are a country of immigrants except for the native people and our greatest natural resource is our people and this is what makes Canada so special so attractive for many people right around the world to come to Marina at this point in the interview I usually ask whoever I'm interviewing to say a few words to the students but I'm going to change that around a little bit I want you to imagine that close your eyes and imagine that it is the worst day of your life which was the day that you were released from prison oddly enough folks and you're standing in front of God what would you say to God I would say I'm sorry um I would say I wish I could have done better I wish I would have known better. I wish I could have found a way to save every single life that was lo- that was lost uh, in Evin Prison. I wish I could just stop the suffering of every single human being who suffered in that horrific place. And that is the only thing in this world that can give me absolute peace. But I cannot do that. So I have to settle for whatever I have right now. One option would be just to head right back, you know, to go back to Iran and to say, hey, you want me? Here I am. And just to die with, with everybody else. But that basically, I have thought about that, but that would basically be suicide. And even though it is very tempting, it is because there's so much pain that sometimes 
sometimes when we go to bed at night, you think, oh dear, you know, can I do this for one more day? It, it, one more day sounds like a millennium. But then the, the weight of all of those lies, of all of those sufferings, is on your shoulders. And you can't just just be selfish enough to say, I can't do this. Because guess what? You have to. My God, you are a one incredible woman, Marina Nemet. You truly are. Thank you so much for your words of inspiration. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com Quand c'est quand c'est 